Blog Talk Radio. Here at ACO Radio, American Communications Online, or any affiliated stations or websites are not responsible for what guests, hosts, or call-ins may say. All programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Hello, is anybody there? <laughs> I thought Therese was going to do the introduction. Aloha and welcome. I call this uh, Secret Space or yeah, Secret Space Program. Um, UFO Secret Space, that's the name of our show. And we meet Fridays and I'm Janet Care Lesson. And I think Teresa J. Morris is here and Susan um what's her name? Johnson. <laughs> Susan Johnson. Dying a blank because I wasn't expecting to speak. Is anybody there? Aloha. Susan, are you there? Since I'm not running the board, I don't know what's going on. So, uh, I'm going to not mute it. I'll mute it. Okay. I'm going to hang up and call back in in case I did something wrong. Aloha. Hello? Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hello, world. Hope everything is okay with you. Uh, hope you can hear me. Got a little feedback here. So let me turn that down, and uh, we'll see if our guest is coming back on. I uh, don't see my guest today, but we're doing ET Alien Incarnate Hybrid Forum Conversations today with Susan Johnson will be our guest. I don't see her yet, so Susan... If you can hear, the call-in is 347-945-7207. And Susan Johnson uh, has the likes of David Jacobs, David Icke, Jonathan Wells, three men who have been following and sharing documentaries and investigative work in a field that she likes, ufology and alienology. And Susan is an alienologist and an ontologist. And she wants to begin a weekly radio platform. And Janet Carolus and I have been doing shows eight years. And Janet's had her on a few shows. So uh, I was asking Janet if she could come on and tell us a little bit about Suzanne and offer some support. So let me get Janet Carolus of Hawaii on. I don't see Susan yet. Janet Carolus, can you hear me now? <laughs> yeah, I had called earlier and um, I was just talking to the air. I don't know what happened. Okay, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so I hung up. I hang. I don't know if any of that got recorded. I don't think so. But uh, anyway, um, I had a show yesterday, and the blog talk was full of glitches. So hopefully, we can get through an episode today. Um, I'm not sure where Susan is. I can try to call her or text her and see what's going on. Uh, uh, we just talked to her bio? 30 minutes ago. You want, no, I you can't want do both things. Why don't you tell everybody about yourself? And I really um, okay. I can't call, and I can't do two things. So I, I, okay. I wish I could do more. I could wish I could do <laughs> both <laughs> things, but I'm trying to get it. I'm uh, trying to I'll look her up and, and text her. You put some good stuff before on well, her. I'm just, so I'm just... Um, I'm just Janet Careless, and I've been doing these shows since 
2012, but I've been working in media since I was a, a kid. I've uh, been on a lot of television shows, radio shows. Main subjects are uh, right now extraterrestrials, ufology, you know, alienology, uh, disclosure, contact. Uh, but I've been involved in uh, relationship counseling and uh, put on workshops and conferences and Contra. And uh, hey, there she is. Is that Susan? Yep. Okay, Susan. Uh, welcome to, I call it uh, UFO Secret Space. That's my Friday show. I don't know what Teresa's calling our show, but uh, we're doing a group uh, broadcast, recording it on Blog Talk Radio, and you're Susan Johnson. So rather than us reading your bio, which is kind of boring, we're going to start with you telling us your story. And then when you go for about five minutes, if you kind of self-monitor um, then you can ask us if we have feedback or additional questions. And we're going to do this dialogue for about two hours. Maybe we'll take a break at the top of the hour, but we're going to go for like two hours. And if you're getting long-winded, we're going to go, thank you. <laughs> and that's your cue, like, okay, uh, time to trade uh, voices here. Our, our listeners get bored at the same voice going for two hours. So with that, Susan Johnson, take it away and tell us, from the beginning, go back in your time machine to your earliest memory when you came into this physical form as Susan Johnson. Where did you land? Did you remember anything before you came in? And what was the what was the earliest memory you have about life on planet Earth as Susan Johnson? It started back in when I was seven years old. I had that recurring dream that we were flying the ship and we were going through the Earth's solar system and we were bouncing off the gravitational fields of the planets as we were coming in. And we were in our third phase of reconversion, which in our language is called aura amplitases. And we, we were coming in toward the um, Earth and we, when we got in, we went past the sun and we were going at the speed of light because the sun looked like a solid ball of rock. That means if you're going at the same speed of something, it's standing still. That's how I knew we were going at the speed of light. And then when I came into the Earth's upper atmosphere, um, a black hole opened up to the right side of um, the ship, and everybody else was still asleep, and I was awake. As I woke up first because I'm a navigator, Masvari, they call it in our language, S-V-A-R-I, Masvari. And we and I woke up and I said and I Ekna was my pilot next to me and I said Ekna Ekna shift the mass away from the to the black hole to the black hole not away from it and he shifted the mass away from the black hole and then went, that's when we got obliterated now Ekna and the rest of the crew were what they call human Nyendans I was an Archeron Nyendan which means I was an ovoid formoid not not a humanoid even though we look humanoid. That's why they call us formoids. We're really multidimensional beings like an ovoid. Um, Argoid is the actual race that we're from, from the other universe. Well, anyway, I kept getting the same dream over and over again. And I'd wake up cross-legged like an Indian looking at the closet with, with, in a full-blown sweat several times. So then I had to go into the library at 7, 8, 9, 10 years old. I started doing my research. I looked up every parapsychology book, dream interpretation, physics, relativity, everything, trying to explain what was happening to me. And I, and, and I finally figured out that it was a past life memory. Because they say if you rem- get the same dream over three times in a row, 
it's probably a past life memory. And then from there, I started getting scenes where they would take me up into the ships and show me my true parents from my true Archeron parents. Now, at first I thought they looked human, but they don't. They look alien. I mean, like Yisseron. I sent you a picture of Yisseron, right? I so think anyway, so, yes. They look, look like them, and I felt an instant paternal, a very strong instant maternal bond to them, and I started crying. I didn't want to go back down here. I said, no, those are my real parents. I belong with them. Don't do this. Don't bring me back down here. Those aren't my real parents down there. And then that happened several times, and then they showed me the cylinders where I was conceived, and they said, from now on out, we will always have a, an animated body in there, so the next time you get killed, you won't have to be born anywhere else again. You'll be reanimated in one of the clones from the cylinders, and it was a bluish liquid in the cylinders, like a gelé liquid. And, the, and then um, a few times after that, they started teaching me up in the ships about flying the different panels, the different symbols, the different um, physics and stuff. And the physics up there is different. Once you go past three dimensions, once you go past the speed of light, the physics changes. And it isn't quantum either. It's, it's similar to quantum mechanics but different. And the only reason I know all of this is because I studied physics, electronics, mechanical maintenance, and, and um, I have degrees in those. But as, as a child, I would study particle physics, relativity, special relativity, nuclear physics, radi- radioactivity, and, and my spare time. Everybody else was playing around and going out to parties and stuff. I would be in my room reading physics articles. And I, I've had ongoing experiences with them coming and in my room, and then I'd go up when I'm asleep and I'd dream I'm up in the ships. And, and I'm doing scout missions, and we even go to other planets. We did rescue missions and everything. So it's just ongoing. Okay. Okay. Are you are you um, complete with the, what you just said? So you, you're on these missions. They're ongoing. Um, Teresa J. Morris, do you have any questions or feedback for Susan Johnson? About what we covered well, so far. Um, how do we explain to people what level of existence that is? And when we're all human on the planet and we're speaking in radio waves, which we could be anywhere. So Suzanne or uh, Susan, I keep calling you Suzanne. That's another friend of mine. But Susan, you know, we're setting up this across from the David Ike, Jonathan Wells, uh, likes of three men following. Uh, this type of work, and you're an ontologist and an alienologist, geophologist, you've done extreme uh, endless. Uh, how would we compare your story to theirs? Because this platform you wanted to do today was so you could establish your own platform for you and your own people. So uh, can you help me out here? Because we're three women versus three men. So help me out here, Suzanne. What kind of platform okay, uh, are you creating? Okay, the platform I specifically want to create is, is specific targeted to a specific audience. I want to create a platform for alien ET and incarnates, alien ET hybrids, not human ET hybrid. Okay, there's ET humans and ET alien. The ET human is like the Anunnaki, 
the Syrians, the Andromedans, um, some of the some of the races from Arcturus, although most of them are formoids, not humanoid. Um, Pleiadian, the, the the common characters. The one I want to create is not the ET human ones that I just mentioned, but ET alien, which is like some Cygnus, Zeta, Taurus, other universes like Aldrakati universe, Aliatran universe, um, or Factinum or Factinum universe, and any other kind of triune universe that's adjoining um, this universe. Through the and on the boundary conditions, and I want to set up a platform for ET alien incarnates, ET alien hybrids, not ET human human hybrids. If you know what I mean, and not the star seeds, because a lot of them are ET human incarnates into an ET into a regular human body. I specifically want to target those lesser known races that have not had any kind of a platform or a voice and are not being properly represented. And and I want to present it as the work that we're doing, like stabilizing the sun, stopping the sun, the CMEs from hitting the earth and um, stabilizing the central planetary energy vortex of the earth, dimensional shifting a lot and a lot of the dimensional and energy work that we're doing. And I want, and, um, and, and um, present us in the true light instead of, all the vilification and demonization that the other three people they they paint with a wide brush. They represent us as being in the same group with the negative reptilians and the negative greys. And and believe believe me when I say that the negative ET tall whites are in control of everything. They control the world governments. They control the evil elite. They shower them with gifts. They allow them access to their secret space fleet. And um. And um, all this demon, they're, they're demonizing and vilifying us through the mainstream media and all these other UFO experts and stuff because they don't want us here because we're an obstacle. We're, we're intervening and we're making everything right, which they do not want. They want control over total reality. And if they can control the earth, they, they can control the whole matrix that controls the very nature of physical reality. And, and we're in their way because we want to make it go to its next ascension phase, and they don't want that. The uh, other thing, we're, we're also um, a threat. Did you read it? I think that's your end. <laughs> Little beeps. <laughs> okay. Okay, continue. Okay, so um, the main thing is um, most people who are in this field are humans experiencing this. I'm alien experiencing this. And how many aliens experiencing this are being heard, are being listened to? And they have a lot more detailed information, more accurate information than the human experiencing this because the human has filters, emotional screens, uh, religious upbringing, and brainwashing that, is, that distorts the perception of what's being presented to them by the ET aliens. And then they demonize and vilify us because they don't understand our nature. They don't understand the true nature of the universe. And they don't understand the true nature of being an identity. And this is why they vilify us. And, and then it causes hysteria and paranoia on the general population. And the general population are going to attack us. They're going to ostracize us. They're going to block us from gainful employment because we're a threat. To, because basically the bottom line, we're a threat to 
the grip hold that the evil global elite has over the human population. Because if, if, if the humans start experiencing other types of beings and their true natures and everything, they're going to see us for what we truly really are, which is highly evolved benevolent type beings. And once they see that and they start to understand us, and in so doing, they start to understand themselves. Because the contrast creates understanding and insight. And they don't want that because that will liberate the mind from being controlled by the negative ET scourge and, and the evil elite. And so they're always fighting us, shooting at us up there with the secret space fleet, and they're, and they're always attacking us. They're blocking us from getting any kind of gainful employment down here on the planet's surface. And, and, and the demonization is pathetic. And the three men that you meant referred to, I don't really want to say their names. They, they're vicious. Okay. Janet, uh, you understand that we can universally say the benevolent may or may not be above those in this galaxy. So maybe we need to establish some perimeters, dimensions, overlays, realms. Janet, do you have any input from your many years of uh, interviews (laughs) of how to do this? Um. You know, I'm just formulating how to do this. I think how to do this is how we're doing it. We're just starting with step one. And step one is getting down the stories and documenting, um, you know, this uh, phenomenon of uh, extraterrestrial intelligence walking among as human beings. Many people are born into the human form, but we really identify with our originations from other, you know, planets and universes and dimensions and those type of things. This is a phenomenon I encounter a lot. Now, your specific people that you're identifying with, Susan, I, you know, you seem to be like another group that has started to come to the Earth. Uh, up until this point, you know, there's been waves. So I guess the first wave was probably the um, in the 50s. Uh, I guess that was the, um, what do you call it, the Newsians and uh, – Valiant Thor and the ships were coming down at Big Rock and California and, and people were gathering. I, I heard that they had 20,000 people at those gatherings out in, in California. Um, and then the ships would come down and uh, people of those times, would some of them would go and walk out and go right into the ship. So we have different generations with the Betty and Barney Hill phenomenon in the early 60s and so on and so forth. Um, Whitley Stryber you know, wrote his book, in the Communion, I think that was in 1993, or was that earlier? No, it was 1980-something, 80-something, uh, 86, 87. Yeah, uh, I was in my second marriage at the time. So anyway, um, just begin. We don't have all the answers, but we don't need all the answers. We just do step one, and step one is this show with Susan. So Susan, um, continue. What else would you like to tell our listeners about your early years, your beginnings, your memories, how how you are dealing with this, how you're coping with this. Let's uh, and then in about another five ten minutes, stop and ask us to interject again. Back to you, Susan. Okay, and in my earlier years, like okay, but actually before I had that recall dream about flying into the black hole, I had. Um, a, I was around five years old, and at that time, my two brothers in the front bedroom, they had, because we were all little kids then, they had those plastic monster kits where you make plastic monsters, a mold and everything. 
and you play with those, and they'd have little toy airplanes and stuff, the usual stuff the kids play with in the front, uh, you know, as little kids. And I was by myself because no one had anything to do with me because the kids in the neighborhood were either much older or much younger. And I had an eye that turned in, and I had to wear an eye patch because I, I was born with amblyopia. Nobody wanted to be seen with a freak, even though I knew I didn't think of myself as a freak. I was always told that I was very, I was very beautiful because I have long red copper red hair, and I have brown eyes and, and an orangish type skin. I don't have the usual ruddy redhead complexion per se. Real milky white skin with freckles all over. I had more of an orangish reddish type tan to my skin. Well, anyway. Um, I would play by myself but around five years old. I had this dream. I don't know if it's a dream or a scene. I was playing with, I was in my room in front of my dresser and these beings showed up and I thought that they were kids that wanted to play with me because they were about my height, like four foot or four foot and a half or something. And they started actually shooting lasers at me. And then, and then all of a sudden I started, well, like I wanted to beat them up and, and, and the energy would surge from my hands and go after them and shoot them and it would burn them. They'd get mad. And then all of a sudden, one of my people showed up behind me, which was like six foot or like five foot five or five foot eight. And they shot a laser at him and vaporized one of them. And the other three got scared and they, and they went poof right through the wall and disappeared. And I had this happen like two or three different times. And I, and, and I was startled. I wasn't scared or terrified or anything. I was startled. And I thought, what the hell? What, what are they attacking me for? What did I do? And, and, and then the other ones would say, oh, because – you're they're they're your enemy and 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 then they said it's a you'll know better as you get older we're warriors or something like that we're here to fight them and then a few other dreams i had it was like um later on like i was eight nine or ten years old i was visited by um um yisaron uberon and obron and zideron and they were they were showing me the true nature of where I'm from, which was Archeron and Cygnus. And, and they showed me our true features and, and they showed me what it would look like. Um, our Archeron glands and the bump, the bumpy little bumps on the side of, of our face, like in front of the ear, like along the ear, like on the side of the face. And they showed us what they were used for ductless glands for secreting different pheromones and stuff. And they showed me their fingers. They showed me what we really look like. And I, and I did feel a, a strong affinity toward them, like that's who we are or that's what I am. And then they continued around, around 12, 13, and 14 years old. I started doing a lot of out-of-body experiences. And, and I, I thought it was out-of-body, but I would go to the south of France, and I would visit this place. It was like an encampment, like a um, – a, it looked like Mount St. Segur, but it wasn't there. It was in La Javie and Dini Lavons in France. I found out those names later on by doing some research, but I found out there was a group there that looked humanoid, but they were from another planet. And, and I didn't know what their name was. I just knew that I was going there, and there was a guy there that I remember from my past life, and his name was Ekna. And he had a green T-shirt on dark blue jeans, short, wavy black hair, brown eyes, white milk, orangish skin. And he says, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. Get out of here. 
Why, how did you find me? Where did you know where I was? I said, I don't know how I found you, but here, here I am. And, then, and, and he didn't like me. I couldn't figure that one out. If he was one of us, why didn't he like me? So then this went on, and, and then finally, when I was 15 years old, um, I was asleep in my bed, and the, and the, and the front bedroom, they, they left the TV on, and I got mad. So I wanted to turn off the TV, and there was the documentary. It was called Overlords of the UFO. And they started describing this group called the Yumo in the south of France. And they started explaining they come from Wolf 424 in the constellation of, of Virgo. And that, and that they, they are the ones in the south of France. So I, and they said Antonio Rivera was the ufologist that discovered them. So then I started writing letters overseas a lot to Antonio Rivera. And I found out about Jean-Pierre Petit that used to do the astrophysics research in the, in the Institute of Astrophysics in, in France, and then there was two other people I wrote to, Adina Labans and La Javie, and in the south of France, and that's true, the, the Yuma were there. Well, then they had since left, so then I forgot about that for a while, and I kept having ongoing experiences with my people, which are the Archerons, and then I got introduced, and then I started being, by them, started being trained about uh, planetary central planetary energy masters and the Yumo I mean the Nyandans were still working with me at that time and they and they taught and they taught me about like synthesizing um the central planetary energy from long distances like light years away by medi- by focusing on them and you can tell by the arousal factor and everything that you're locked in and all that and then I started getting other experiences um, where they, they would train me on the ships, and and um, I started getting validation. I would start writing to the Center of UFO Studies, ran by J. Allen Hynek, and some of the dreams I'd have or scenes where I'd be flying over the like Michigan or places like that. I I would write down the dates and times, and it would correspond with certain dates and times of other sightings in those areas. And then um, not much information was given out back then. But then in my 20s, I started getting um, scenes where we were doing recon missions and stuff. And um, the central U.S. where you go underground, you'd see these underground facilities and colonies, alien colonies, human colonies, underground. And um, I started seeing other types of beings that I'm working with. Uh, palish, bluish beings like that, that are, look similar to the greys, but their heads are much, much smaller, like almost the size of a normal human head. They're not exaggerated like the biodroid greys. Um, and I knew that they existed, but I didn't say much about it in the 80s because nobody was going to believe me then. And then in the 90s, uh, it started to trickle out some of the information, and then the New Age movement started. And all the different scout missions that we were doing in the 70s and the 80s where we were awakening people to their true identity and reconnecting them to their true races started to pay off because that, then the New Age movement started in earnest, I think, around in the 90s. And I guess this, this is the byproduct of our work because we awoken those people and reconnected them to their true races and stuff, and they started doing their work. Um, and then there – Anyway, uh, uh, the humor were in the back of my mind. I never paid much attention anymore. But in 1994, 
um, I was working as a security guard at a high school, and I was t- still taking electronics at Miami-Dade. And um, I finished the electronics degree, AA degree in electronics with the, with the 2.65 GPA. Anyway, I was wa- working as a security guard, and I was walking uh, – it was my time off. I was walking from – on 106th Street, and I went to 97th Avenue, and on the way back, I, something told me to stop at 88th Court, so I did. And I stood there. I don't know why. And it was like September of 94. And I waited. And there it was. It was a black rectangular ship. And on the one length, on the one lengthwise side, it had like a sawtooth pattern, drawn like a cream-colored sawtooth pattern on the one lengthwise side of the ship. And it flew. And it was only like 25 to 30 feet above me. It was no higher than the power lines. I kept looking at it. And I was squinting my eyes, you know, trying to figure out what it was. Was there any ripples in it? Was it a kite? Was it a um, some kind of a blimp? What was it? And I was trying to figure it out. And it was perfectly still over me. There was no ripples in it, nothing. And it was windy. It was perfectly still, solid black, right? So then I thought, what about – because at that time I was obsessed about the Yumo. And I, I said – I formed a triangle with my two thumbs and my first two fingers – over my nose, the bridge of my nose, and I kept trying to say, are you Yumo? And as soon as I did that, the thing shot up to like 50 feet. And I, I thought, oh, my God. I, I was like shocked. I was like startled, like, whoa. I didn't know I had that much ability to focus and concentrate like that because I used to do that all the time with Lyra and, and, and Cygnus and Taurus. I used to communicate with my fingers telepathically and try, and try to get information back, feedback and everything. I found out that they they were they're not Yuma, they're Arquequian. And that's another story in of itself. But anyway, it the ship banked to the lengthwise east and west, went to ninety seventh Avenue and slowly came back. The three bicyclists went by, two joggers went by, and I didn't draw their attention to it, but something told me it was meant for me, not for anyone else to see. And then it came back over my head again. And then, and then it orientated itself north and south again, lengthwise. And then I looked at it a little more, and then it just went to the north, and it disappeared behind the trees, never to be seen again. Well, then about the next day, I had this so-called dream or scene or whatever, where I was on board their ship, and I was laying down, and they, they had this circular pattern thing over my head, and it made like it was green on the inside, and it had like little gray segments in it, and it was making like concentric circular, different concentric circular patterns, and it would shift. And there was like three or four green spheres on the outside of it, and the spheres would change position. And it would, and every time the spheres would change their positions, there was like um, the pattern inside of the circular thing would would change. And they had this real long Q-tip that went in the right side of my ear. And as they kept rotating it back and forth and back and forth, this elongated thing went in the inside of my ear and didn't hurt. It didn't. It tickled, but it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt or anything. I wasn't scared. I don't know why I trusted them, but I did. And then when they got done, that was it, and I woke up. Well, I have a slightly raised, ever so slightly raised circular area in the top right of my forehead with a little tiny pinhole in the middle of it. And I have a slight shadowing of a perfect isosceles triangle in the center of my head, like near my hairline. 
and I knew it was them. So then I had subsequent scenes with them after that where they showed me how to their ships. They showed me their technology, the flat screen panels that they use for imaging with, with the quadruple couple spherical devices. Uh, and, and then they showed me how, how to enter, interface with those. Then they showed me the p- control panels on the ships. And, then, and, and there was two or three of them that took a personal interest in me. And the main one was Darlon. And he took me down to the um, generating area of the ship, which is below the um, main you know, cockpit area where they fly the ships and everything. And he walked me around, and he showed me these upside-down teardrop-shaped where the wider part of the teardrop is on the bottom and the thinner part of the teardrop is touching the um, top of the um, ceiling of the room. And they were like a cream-colored with a slight tinge of purplish and a slight tinge of bluish in it. And he said, all you have to do to adjust them is you just touch it. And, and I touch it, and it would shift. It, it, what they are, they're gravitational transponders that, that convert electromagnetic and negative neutral quantum energy into gravitational fields. It's a field inversion um, sphere they use. And I went along, and they touch it, and, and their name for it is called trigets. They said, these, we call these trigets. And they showed me the, all of that. And then... And then... Um, then a few other times I was with the Urquequians and the Nyandans and the Umites because the Umites were, were working with us as well. And then also the Archerons, and we were up in the ships, and they were showing Urquequian ship, and they were showing me the panels and the cylinders where they beam in and out of with, with the concentric grid plate on the bottom of the cylinder. And um, they showed me the sphere device that they use with the Saturn ring around it. I guess they call them an accretion ring or an accretion ring. And they have it like a control panel, a touch panel. You walk up to it and touch it, and you can interface your energy with the sphere. And they said, we do planetary synthesis as well as the Nyandans and the Umites. And they said, this is, we, we, we want you to image this. And, and they showed that the, the central planetary energy pattern, the Earth on the central, centralized sphere. And then you, you reconfigure the um, domain. And then you send a streamer, one-dimensional silicon way through that domain. It goes to the center of the Earth, and it corrects the instability of the central planetary energy vortex is what, what they do. And then and they showed me this, and then they showed me um, other planets that they can tune into, and they can do the same thing. It doesn't matter how many light years you're away or anything because they use what physicists today call entanglement. They used to call hyper-uncoupling. And it's used silicon waves. Um, light harmonic resonances, which is the baseline light harmonic resonance and, and everything. And if you read the books by B.L. Cathy, um, he talks about the harmonic of the universe, and there's different light harmonic resonances in each type of universe, and the, each universe has its own light harmonic resonance system. Um, and so they they taught me all of this, and they they showed me um, how to do that, and then the Nyindans did. The humans were, I think, were they were just there observing more or less. They didn't really interact with us. Um, and then this went on, and, and, and then, they, and then, then I forgot about that because we were continuing with our other work, the scout missions, rescue missions of, of other colonies and other planets, where we we literally walk them right off the planet up into the motherships and stuff. And, you, and, and then this is like in the late 90s. 
And, um, and then, weirdly enough, because I used to be a nuclear contractor, I was working as, as a, a generator jumper on the Eddy Current crew for Westinghouse, and we were working under the subcontractor spec group, and we were over there in the nuclear plant in the Midwest. And um, we were in the break room, and I know that the Nyandans had showed me Area 51. They showed me the col- uh, and the Arquequians, Area 51. They showed me the underground colonies. They showed me the different alien races there, and, and they showed me um, – you know that they were being exploited and and um mistreated by the human military personnel there and um they wanted to take them off world and stuff and they were asking us for our help and at that time I didn't fully understand my complete role at that time I just knew that I did a lot of rescue missions and stuff of different crew members of a different alliances that we were working with and at that time we were doing a lot of technical work and I couldn't figure out what was going on because why are they keep asking us for rescue missions? Why are we fighting these people in space? At the time, I didn't know that we were warriors, that we were light warriors called in from another universe to help out. I didn't know it at the time. So it was all confusing to me at that point why we were doing certain types of work. So then I just went along with it and then so anyway, I knew all of this stuff, and at the same time, I was in the nuclear industry. Well, then finally, I went. I ended up in the Midwest at a nuclear plant outage, and the Westinghouse engineers were in the break room with me, and they asked me, so Susan, half jokingly, half serious, so who, what's, the na- what's the name of the blue aliens that run Area 51? I mean, just so, totally out of nowhere. For no known rhyme or reason or nothing, this engineer walks up to me and asks me this question. And I never talked to anybody about that there when I was there. So none of the other coworkers knew about it. So how did he know? So I proudly, you know how a person stands up really proud and they put their thrust their chest out and their head back like they're really proud of what they know. And I said, they're Quequians. Within two hours later, I was escorted off the site and sent home. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a good place to take a break. Uh, good story, Jean. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, all right. So um, now that's a that's a. Can you hear me? Am I, I, yeah. Okay. Richard Knight. Okay. Richard Knight okay. has joined us as well, Susan. So just so oh, you know. Oh, good. So we'll all ask you okay. questions. Okay. Wait. You gave me the talking stick. So let me. Let me. I'm going to lose uh-huh. what I was going to say. Oh shoot. Um. Let me get what I was going to say. Story. Okay, so you, so this guy, how did he know? This, I, you know, wait, yeah, don't, don't know you it. answer. No, don't you answer. This is for Susan. Okay, Susan, and you know the answer. You, you know in, in your higher self. How did this guy know? It's very simple. Westinghouse was one of the main leaders of the reverse engineering of any craft that was crashed on this planet Earth. They take it back to the different various bases. I, I don't remember the bases' names now. I think it's Wright-Patterson and Nellis and all those other bases. And there's Aberdeen Testing Grounds. Um, and I think the uh, Ames or Ames Laboratories or something, and they do the reverse engineering. Well, obviously, they have the aliens working with them elbow to elbow, teaching them what to do and everything. Well, Westinghouse was the ringleader 
they were the main ones uh-huh. doing the reverse engineering. As per Stanton Friedman, which I already suspected before he even came out and said it. And right. that's how he that's how he knew. Because he must have been involved in the reverse engineering of the ships because he worked for Westinghouse and they're very devious. I mean, that's it. That's how he knew. And that's why I got his sort of sight all sight because they probably figured, how the hell does she know this? She's never worked in the government, never worked for CIA, never worked for anybody like that. Yeah, I was a nuclear contractor, but I was I was a civilian nuclear contractor, not military, not DOE, not DOD, nothing. So how did I know? He 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 was probably figuring how the shit does she know this? Well, right. I have, let me have a follow up. I have a, I have a follow up question for that. Okay, so so it's possible what you just revealed that Stanton Friedman, who was you know, admired by the UFO community, all, you know, 50, 60, whatever years he was doing this, he died in his 80s, that he might have been here to manage the narrative and what would get released to humanity. So he was here like the manager of the narrative to make sure that we didn't really find out absolutely what's going on. So, Mike, I want to go back to what, when you, so this was a colleague and say the question again he asked. What was the question he asked you? So, Susan, Susan. so w- what is the name of the blue aliens that run Area 51? There in the room when you said, when you responded, when, when he asked that. There was one or two other Westinghouse engineers, and there were three or four of the in-house so-called permanent Westinghouse employees that go on these – their Westinghouse employee team – to go go around and they do all the they run all the eddy current testing on all the steam generators. So there's like four and permanent Westinghouse eddy current employees, and there was like three Westinghouse engineers, and there were some other maybe one or two or three people in there from the local utility. And that was it. Okay, so you had a lot of witnesses. So you could have been. You know, somebody's asking about the blue aliens. You could have been joking back and say they're the blah blah. And so they could have all just laughed, ha, 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 right? So that, what was their response that, when you responded? They, they, the they, 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 they didn't laugh. They didn't respond. They didn't do anything. Okay. They acted totally oblivious to it. And then you found out how. Go over that again. You found out what? By a, uh, called into the office, a memo? How did you find out the next day? No, 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 no. I, I was still in the break room two hours later, and I, I, one of the Westinghouse in-house personnel, um, I'm not going to say his name, um, he was sort of sympathetic toward me because he's had a lot of experiences too, but he's also had my labs, and he's also had interrogations and torture and everything. And, the, and and this guy, he was a, a very religious Bible thumper freak, but he, he was sympathetic to me because he was open-minded to this stuff like I was. And he saw what happened, and he was shocked. And he came in later and said, because he was one of the ones that had to escort me off site. And he asked me what happened, and I told him, and he said, see, you knew, he said, I you, it wasn't anything you did wrong. It, 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 it was they set you up or something. I said, what do you mean they set me up? And so this goes back to an outage that I did in um, uh, Vermont. Um, 
um, there was a guy there, a site coordinator for a local health physics tech company, and he didn't like me at all. And his whole demeanor, I think he, he, he was an abuser, a woman abuser, his whole demeanor. And he couldn't stand me because he over, and this is in Brattleboro, Vermont now. And, and, and um, he, he was a local, and he was, a, he was also the coordinator for a health physics contractor company. And he, and he um, didn't like me from day one. I rub a lot of people wrong. Well, anyway, um, I would be on the phone with my credit union because they got my, my balance messed up, and I was going to end up sleeping in the street if I didn't get it straightened out because I was running a hotel room, as we all do when we're on the road. And they were about to kick me out if I couldn't make the payment, and the payment wasn't going through. Well, I, I was cussing and yelling and everything on the phone, and the, and the break area, and he heard me, and he got mad at me, and he couldn't stand me. Well, as it is, I never stepped foot in that plant site. I never wore the badge. I never wore the TLD or anything like that. So technically speaking, if I was never issued a badge, um, I don't have to put that down as one of my job jobs on my resume or on my security questionnaire and that's what i was told by a westinghouse security person who's in charge of all the security paperwork for all the nuclear contractors he said no you don't have to put it down if you never step foot on the plant and you never wore the badge or anything you don't have to put down that job's description because the guy was going to give me a bad reference if i did so i i figured oh good i escaped the bullet you know i escaped that one Okay, so I get the work. Well, that was that, that was where they set me up because that, that's what this one technician told me who was escorting me outside. He, he said, they set you up. They deliberately told you that so that you wouldn't put it down so they could use that as an excuse to escort you off-site because you knew too much about the other thing. Okay, well, um, uh, Richard Knight is here. Do you have a question or feedback for Susan? Thanks for joining us. Sure. Thanks. Hi, Susan. Uh, wow. Uh, Hi, Richard. Absolutely, absolutely fascinating, incredible on so many different levels, yet at the same time, viable, accurate in regards to the various species and contacts of races that you've had. Um, only as far as goes the grays, the blues, and the greens, since I had contact with them when I was five. But um, it is just fascinating that you know you you went into the situation as under the guise basically of, of, of a federal contractor under nuclear stations and then you got involved with Westinghouse and all these other folks and then in turn to have direct contact and be given so much information that was evidently and is evidently to I'm sure a large extent extremely classified because there's exactly lots of people that don't want us to know what you're actually coming out with. And yet exactly. at the same time, you're, you're not really bound by any privacy act or secrecy act because you never signed any direct privilege with any of the agencies that you mentioned previously. So it's absolutely, Talk about you're absolutely delightful. Yeah, you're absolutely delightful. But at the same time, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, why now? I mean, what has inspired you after all this time of going through all these various experiences and being exposed to all of these other persons who had like experiences as yourself? Why now? I mean, is there something um, – I mean, is, is some of your contacts 
you know, from the other races and in, in other dimensions and so forth, inspiring you to make this contact now and, and, and come out with all this or, or exactly what? Yeah, it, it all happened unplanned, spontaneously. I didn't have any intention on doing this. This is something that all of a sudden it started presenting itself to me. And I thought, am I supposed to be doing this? Am I supposed to be going public? What am I supposed to be doing? Do they want me to do this? I know that they told me in the past, oh, there was another scene I forgot to tell you in 1982, 1983, during the Orange Bowl in Miami. They saw a big UFO, and I had an experience, a very telepathic experience with my twin soul soulmate who was flying that UFO, cylinder shape. And they were so, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. And this is my own people. And yet, and I felt like, am I vile? Because they never did tell me, okay, now you can tell them. So I thought, well, no, they don't want me to tell them. Why am I doing this? Why all of a sudden all this radio work? And, they, and I telepathically asked them, they said, well, it's okay. That isn't going to have any relevance one way or another on our security or on our work or anything up there. You can do that or something. I guess now because it's deep presenting itself, it was never really anything I anticipated. It just happened. So I guess you would actually say that this is your higher self um, controlling your physical self to share all of this relevance of memory and all of these relevant experiences because I'm, I, I believe wholeheartedly that by putting it out there now, you're calling forth a lot of individuals who have had like experiences and didn't know or had no one to turn to. So you're validating to a lot who knows how many thousands, maybe even millions of people, you know, that have been abducted at various points and times in their lives. And also, of course, affected telepathically or affected intuitively, affected physically, and in all kinds of different ways. And yet at the same time, you're, you're kind of verifying that a lot are very positive, while at the same time acknowledging that there are those that obviously play with us like we're toys or something for their own amusement. It's just, it's just fascinating. I mean, wow. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just fantastic. Well, I love, I love, lo- lo- love the part that, yeah, a lot of information I have according to the government would be considered classified, but I never worked for the government. <laughs> exactly. You're not bound by any secrecy act. Or any, or any documents or pledge that you would have signed in that regard. So therefore, they can't really control you from any aspect because, uh, I mean, you're, you're covered under the Constitution. You know, this is your First Amendment right, freedom of speech. And they, they have no right to control you because you never consented to any kind of agreement or control thereof. Yeah, and, and that just it makes me really proud. Talk about a thorn, right? Yeah. Well, Susan, this is your platform. Where would you like to go from here? Because you're sharing documentary type of information, and I hope uh, you know that the world is listening, and we don't know where all this is going, but we do know radio waves travel universally. So would you like to call down any other universal level of, you said, ET, alien, incarnate hybrid, and Susan Johnson is that. So... I've got Susan Johnson of Earth As Is, and we're here to support you, Janet Lesson, Richard Knight, and Teresa Morris. So, with the three of us here, 
Where would you like to take this ET alien incarnate hybrid platform? Any other people you want to talk about or invite in the future? How do you see this platform? Yeah. Take it away. Um, Next segment. And then after about 10 minutes, uh, once again, pause so we can give you feedback. Okay, go ahead, Susan. Specifically, I want people that are like me to find each other, to be able to share their experiences with each other and give each other moral support. It's been a lifelong quest of mine to find other people like me on this planet. And I've come to the conclusion there's not, nobody else on this planet for my group. It's just me. After all the searching, calling up all the UFO investigators, researchers, everybody like that, even psychics, I've come to the conclusion that I think I'm the only one here for my race, for my group. Well, it's just because you haven't got you know, received the answer yet doesn't mean they're not out there. It's, you know, there's, it's a big planet, you know, and not everybody listens to all these things. So we're getting it out there, and you very well might get some responses. I guess I should put it out there that if you want to talk to Susan, you can give you know, whatever email or whatever you want to do, but you can contact me at Aquarian Radio. I'm Jenna Lesson, Aquarian Radio at gmail.com, and I'll forward it on to Susan. But Susan, do you have any way that you want to be contacted um, and realize there might once you open up your email or your phone, you, you might get uh, – so be careful what you give out because you might get a lot yeah, of calls. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I'd rather go yeah, – Richard, I got a little feedback. Yeah. Wait, let her finish. What, what did you say, Susan? Susan, what did you I'd say? I didn't quite hear the end of I'd rather go through the Aquarian Radio Network channel to filter out because I know that there's a lot of people out there that do this to try to get attention and notoriety, which is not my intention. Okay, and you might that's get a, a good lot idea. of moles. There, you might get a lot of moles too that are planted to go in and try to weed information out of me. I've had that happen before, and then and then I've had government like Alberto Rosales who writes the books on missing. He wanted some of my artwork. He wanted me to do some artwork for him, and I was willing. I was trying to become an artist and trying to become commissioned as an artist to get my work out there so I can do artwork for a living. And I even did drawings for the South Florida Fern Society and stuff like that. And, and the one person who, who was in England, um, she recognized me as very accurate as an artist because I depicted a – it was a maidenhair-type fern. And she was very impressed and said that I was very – I had did a very accurate depiction of that fern and the detail and everything. And um, I was trying to get work as an artist on the side because I figured if I can't work in the nuclear industry anymore, I was going to try to work on the side and get more, extra money that way. And then this Alberto Rosales said that he wanted people to do artwork, and, and I answered – and I started talking to him a little bit because he asked me about my background. And then all of a sudden, he just blew me off. He, te- he emailed me and said, don't ever call me, don't ever contact me, email me, text me, or any way, shape, or form. I don't want to hear from you anymore. The government is involved. Okay, well, let's, let's focus on um, positive aspect of this work. We know there's going to be some, I don't know what to call them, kooks and crazies out there, but I will do – what I can to to screen them, 
I always do that anyway. That's what I do. <laughs> I get contacts all the time. So once again, it's AquarianRadio at gmail.com. But um, realize I will be screening you, so please, uh, no trolls. We don't want any trolls. Okay, so back to um, Richard. Would you like to ask <clears throat> Susan a question for this next, next segment where she's going to uh, go into the information? that we need to know. And we're at the top of the first hour. We're going to go two hours max, and then we're going to call it a day. We'll come back another time. So go ahead, Richard. Ask um, Susan a question. Susan is the focus of today's show. Take it away, Richard. Oh, and somebody's got a lot of background noise, so please mute if you're not speaking. Thank you. That's Richard. Richard, are you sitting in front of a computer or TV? He may not Hang on a second. Hang on a second. No, uh, there's two other things there we I go. want to mention about the. There's two other things I want to mention about the Urquaquians. For some reason, the strong impression I'm getting from the way people react to me when I start talking to them about them, is that for some reason I think they were working with the government at one time and they broke away. They they disbanded the contract. Because of the fact that they they were not doing, they were not they were not um, uh, honoring the contract. That's the right word, honoring. And so therefore they 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 broke it off and they're freelance now. They do whatever they want to do. They don't answer to anybody. They are benevolent. They're working with 60 million humans, is what I found out. They're they're from an area behind the star Antares, and they're also from. Um, a constellation called Hydra, which I found out. This is really weird how I found out. And apparently, for some reason, they're a sore spot with the government or something because every time I start talking about them, um, the calls drop, something happens. It's weird. And it's like everybody's definitely afraid of them, and I don't understand why. Because when I am around them, I get a, I have a special... A, Affection toward them <laughs> Wow That's interesting um, And they're, maybe they're, they're not my real people But maybe they're someone That you you and your people do Some kind of trade with Or maybe your neighbors Or, or some no, no, kind no. of galactic we, 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 arrangement No We work with them there, there are oh, okay. alliances. They're, they're, they're warriors, but, but they're also master energy creator beings, and they create different planetary systems. Wow. And they do work with us. Okay. Hey, and, and the, Susan, can I get you to call in now? The last time you tried to call in, you couldn't get in. But uh, 347-945-7207, write that down because you, you're on my merged <laughs> phone call. And um, I just had some people come in, and I can't mute myself because you're on my phone <laughs> recording. So could you call yeah, into yeah, the studio? Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want. Uh, what, what is the number? You said oh seven. I thought it was seven two nine seven. No three four seven nine four five seven two zero seven. That's for everybody listening, if you'd like to call in. But Susan Johnson is our special guest today, bringing us ET Alien Incarnate Hybrid. 
347-945-7207. But if you could do that, Susan, then I can uh, do a lot more with my board. But I apologize. Plus, uh, when I turn on Richard, he's uh, uh, we were picking up some sound off of him, too. So could you call in, and I'll let Janet and Richard talk for a minute. Uh, three four okay. seven nine 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 four five or nine four seven. Three four seven nine four five seven two oh seven. I'll try it again. And if I'm not, not able to get back, you know what happened. You call me back on my phone, we'll just have to deal with my daughter being here. Okay. All right. It's it's the sound. So Susan's taking a siesta for a minute to dial back in, and Janet's doing the and same, correct? I, I need just five minutes, There's and Janet. then I'll be back. I'll be back in okay. five. Take it away, Richard. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> fascinating. Okay. Uh, this is Dr. Richard Knight. I'm a theologian. My encounters with extraterrestrials bear a small amount of experience uh, nothing anywhere near what Susan is sharing with us today. Um, it's absolutely fascinating. And maybe perhaps she's sharing in order to put the call out so that she can reach un- reach others that are of her own species or of her, of her own race, or if nothing else, at least bring forward those that are light workers and warriors just like herself that are here on the planet with a similar mission. Because right okay, now... she's back now. Yeah. Susan, you there? Susan, can you hear us? Yeah. Thank you, Ricky, for for that dialogue. I I appreciate that backup, that validation. Well, it makes good sense, you know. I mean, you're coming forward now because you feel isolated and alone. And I think we've all gone through that process. Uh, You know, when you go through the ascension and the awakening process and you all of a sudden discover who you truly are, you're saying, well, wait a minute. Did I really sign up for this? Am I really... Who I think I am? Am I just fooling myself? Is it delusion or what? And then all of a sudden you've got all these outside uh, ETs, etc., that are informing you about all this different information, and you feel, you know, like I guess the best way to be to put it would be like in a hundred places all at the same time, and you're not confused that you're there. Rather, you're more confused because you don't know which um, telephone wire to hit next as to what dialogue you want to play on next so it's like uh you're this universal spokesperson for all these different races on all these different levels from all these different dimensions and that's that's incredible i have i have i have never met anyone uh, like yourself susan and i am deeply pleasured by our acquaintance okay and i look i look forward possibly to getting to know you better in the future if that would be of a, a, a like mind to you. But uh, this is just absolutely fascinating. And I think the timing is crucial because, as they say, nothing happens without a reason, and everything happens at the right time. So this must be the right time for you to share all this. And, yeah, I would think it's going to bring together a tremendous amount of people of like-mindedness that are going to create their own network and they're going to be using you as a pivotal point because you've already you've already validated yourself, but you've also validated who knows how many thousands of others. 
it's just it's just incredible. Take That's it away. That's right, Susan. So, Susan, this is a good platform. You're doing a wonderful job. I'm so glad you allowed uh, Janet Leston of Hawaii and Dr. Richard Knight of Georgia to join us, and I'm in Gulf Breeze, Florida. Now, Janet's given her Gmail on here, uh, and Susan, you don't really want any direct messages at this time while you're building your story and your personality and writing your book. Is that correct? Correct. And then you'll decide what pictures you want to put into your copyright in your book. Uh, Richard's writing a book at the same time, so this is something we can enjoy together, everyone. And uh, TJ, I want to keep started. I want to keep the focus on. Yeah, I want to keep the focus on Susan. All right, so uh, Susan, it's your platform. Uh, We're just the invited guest. So where would you like to go from here? I'm going to finish on your quackians because they're quite unique. I have to say I'm very pleased, and I got a special affection for them. They're very unique. I don't know why everybody's afraid of them. I don't understand. <laughs> My just anyway, be fear. <laughs> I, I I I don't get it. Okay, for example, um, okay, there was a time I was at the Waltz Mill facility training, and news. When it, and Pennsylvania and we were training for the eddy current crew that was before we went out to that um, nuclear plant outage in the Midwest okay so I was asleep one night of course I had this scene I'm always having scenes where it was the courtyard in the back of the Waltz Mill facility and there was all these like I don't know if they're air conditioning units or whatever, and they were caged in and in the chain link fence, like around them. And there was like a, a, just a straight lawn area, a grass area between like the back of the facility and some woods that, um, and anyway, apparently, and I didn't know this and I might get it if I say this, um, there was a there was a seer, and I thought, what the hell is going on? Why am I seeing this? Is there really a war going on up there? Wait a minute, fighting? I never heard of this. Where's this coming from? I see these ships up there shooting lasers at each other, and then two or three scout crews were on the ground running around, and they were trying to get away from the ships that were shooting lasers at them, and then I show up with Naya, Yisaron, Odavar. Um, Ardalon and Zideron or whoever, and we're fighting, and and um, we're running around. I go, well, what's going on here? And then Naya, the Nyandans no longer work with us. They broke away. That's another thing because their planet went belly up, and and they got involved and with with, with the uh, tall whites. So we we had to ban our relationship with them. But that's another story. But Naya was there. Morja was there. And we were all there um, walking around, and I told the other crews to to take position and try to aim at the belly of the ship or something like that. And when they couldn't do it, I said, okay, walk around the corner. And we set up a, 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 what they call a portable portal where they just literally walk off the planet back up into their own ships. Literally, we can do that. Well, anyway, beam down underneath, and, and, and there's basements underneath the Waltz Mill facility. 
and they're not basements that you use for like you know the, the residual heat remover pumps or the steam generators or anything like that for the nuclear plant. These were separate ba- basements that were used by the military to interrogate and brainwash different witnesses or different people for intelligence training or torture or whatever they. I, I, as far as I'm concerned, they were torture chambers. Me and Naya and Yisaron and Ardalan beamed down in there, and there was two or three alien abductees that were there, and they were shot up with sodium pentothal, and they were going to be um, interrogated by I don't know who these people were, some kind of intelligence agents or something. And there were some two or three negative ET tall whites there with them, and two ne- negative reptilian types. And I said, the hell with this. And and I tagged every one of them with a resonating energy signature, and 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 I spoke to the ship, and they beamed them straight out of the chair up into our ships, and then and then the ones that were there started fighting us, and 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 I started fighting them. I killed two or three of them with with the laser pointer. I'm not going to tell you where the laser comes from, but then then I then I yelled and I yelled into my device. You sir. What? Hello? Hello? Am I on the... Hello? Who are you trying to talk to, Susan? I was trying to talk to TJ and, and Janet. They're not there? I presume they are. Talking. We're here. Okay, we were muted. Keep talking. It's okay. Keep going, Susan. Okay, so then, so then, so then, the ship pulses me as hard as it can, and that pulse drops the drops the other people and kills them instantly, and it fried the computer system. And then after that, we all beamed out. And then I woke up, and I thought, "What the hell was that?" And I said, "Did tell me that there's underground basements at the Waltz Mill facility?" And I know exactly where they're at too. And I thought, "Uh oh." I hope nobody catches wind of this one. And I go into work the next day, and I pretend to be normal like nothing happened. Now, that was cre- that, that was like extreme. It's odd that you and can then, tell when we're muted. So it just makes it clearer, blurzer for you, Susan. But uh, I, I, I'm amazed you can tell the difference if we're muted. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I didn't think I was on the air anymore. Oh no, You're you doing were on great. the air. Yep. So then, so uh, anyway, you scene... keep going, keep going. Yes. So then, th- this is the most revealing part about the Urquequians. I couldn't believe this. I had another scene, and this was like back in the late '90s. No, I, or was it 2003? I'm not sure, but I was up in in their ship, along along with. My people, you, you know, Yisron, Ardalon, Odavar, all of them, and Darlon and Morlon and Arlon, who, who are the three leaders of the Urquequians that are also very, you know, intimate with me, they showed me uh, a, a flat screen on the wall in front of the control panel that I was standing at. And then 
On the control panel is the quadrupole coupled spherical grid plate, like I told you about. And then there is a smaller imaging screen in front of it, flat. It's like a thin piece of film stretched between two rods. And what I was doing was I was actually manipulating an energy field pattern on the sphere in front of me. And with the, with the two, with the four poles, I can project that image onto the little screen. And once I get it right, I project it onto the big flat screen in front of me on the wall. And what happens is it was a planet that we had just created. And I got a picture of that one. And that planet was uh, two, two or three months later, um, they had NASA just announced that they just discovered a new Earth-type planet twice as big as the Earth, and it's called 22 Kepler B. And I thought, what? We were, that planet existed right after I had that scene or that dream. I couldn't believe it. So that must have been the one we did. Well, apparently what we do is after we create the planet, we, it goes through different stages of activation. And the last phase that we do is called the igneous rock activation phase, where the water that's in the center of the planet percolates to the surface. And then after that, um, I had several subsequent dreams, again with the Urquequians and, and the Yuma, I mean the Archerons, the Urquequians, the Obercon, Ardenon, where we would go back and forth and we were do, we did the lichen synthesis, and then and and then we did um, the atmospheric stabilization, and then after that we have to do the terraforming phase, and that's where Bigfoot comes in, because they can lift those huge trees and stuff. And after we put in the lichen phase, where we do the lichens and the funguses and all that stuff on the planet to condition the surface soil and everything, we do the atmospheric activation where we stabilize the gases in the atmosphere. And get to the right ratios of different gases. And then we also put living organisms in the atmosphere. Uh, the biosphere is what it's referred to. That's what we use the term. The humans probably use it differently. Biosphere means the atmosphere around the planet. And every atmosphere has living organisms in it. And those living organisms, the ratio of those living organisms and and, and the concentration of each type of organism per cubic deciliter of air it will determine the overall health of that planet of that whole ecosystem on that planet and then the last phase after we uh, activate that we have the terraforming where we put in the different trees and the forests and that's where the bigfoots come in because they're a terraforming race that they, they go and they put in the huge trees evergreen trees already full grown already active and they, they're able to lock it in and make it live where the trees don't die after we after they're planted. And then and then after that is then the next phase is the colonization of that planet. Now a lot of times we will find another person or another race that has lost their planet, and we will capture their souls and anchor them on different anchoring mechanisms in the ships. And then what we do is we take the DNA from, and that's where the seeding races that work with us. The ones who do, down here who have been taking the ovum and the sperm from human abductees, well, a lot of them are they're called seeding races because what they will do is they will produce clones. 
and 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 the clones of the various different races that have lost their planets and everything, and they will put them in the cylinders, and they will be fully grown clones. And then once we find a suitable planet and it has a planetary matrix that matches their bio matrix and soul matrix, we will animate those bodies with the souls. And then we will relocate those colonies to those other planets and lock them into the planetary rhythm, planetary biosphere, planetary matrix. And then we, and then we will see the stability and see how they adapt. And we will supervise them for like the period of adaptation. Each period of adaptation is dependent upon the race that we're working on. And once that's already been established and stabilized, we will frequently monitor them from a distance but we will not interfere with them we, unless we need to help them or something. And the, pri- the prime directive is another issue i got to address. But anyway, basically, we do a lot of that type of work where we, we will – people that have – races that have lost their planets will be relocated to a planet that's very similar to their own. Or a lot of times we can restore the, their original planet to its pristine condition. So we do that, that type of work. And, and anyway, the Urquequians were letting me see this, that the, I had actually activated the planet using the igneous rock activation phase. Beautiful turquoise iridescent blue colors and everything. I was really impressed with the colors. I can't reproduce them down here. There's no way. Um, and then an, another time, apparently somebody else that I had met through a UFO meetup group here locally, she – was a powerhouse woman, you know, wrote several books on aviation and everything, worked with her husband and stuff. She had told me, she called me out of the blue one day, which is unusual. People don't usually call me, and they usually run away from me. Um, but this one called me back and told me that she saw, she she had this weird dream. And I said, probably it's not a dream, but continue. And then she told me how she was, in this back, in this like big courtyard and back of a college, and they had all these air conditioning units, and she saw these black rectangular ships, and there was all these other people, and they were afraid they didn't want to go up, and they were running and scattering, but a lot of them were taken up, and then she ran. She didn't want to be taken up, and she was scared. Next thing you know, she's up in the ship, and she's looking through a teller's type window to these other people that are on the other side of the teller window from her. And, and the beings were standing behind them, and, and, and she looked at this one person, and she asked this one person, well, where are you from? And she says, My, I'm from Australia. And then she said, well, what is your name? She goes, Kelly Ramsey or Ramsey Kelly or something like that. I think it was Kelly Ramsey. She was some kind of a psychologist, and I think she was doing research in alternate states of being or all – ulterior states of being or something like that and anyway then she said she said that she looked it up and there really was such a person and when and when i tried to look her up i couldn't find her it's like they immediately deleted that information off the internet as soon as me and her were talking about it and then and then and then she said a man was sitting in front of her and they were taking that same Q-tip device and rotating it back and forth in his ear, but instead of him just like enjoying it and sitting there and passive, no, he was screaming and yelling and writhing in pain, and he was scared, and, and tears were coming down his eyes and crying, and the aliens were doing this to him, and he, they didn't know why, 
he didn't know why he he was being tortured by them, and then she was afraid. And I and I tried to explain to her what that device was and what, that they had done the same thing to me. And then the guy left, and then one of the aliens was there, and then she asked the alien, "Where are you from? And what are you doing here?" And they said they're from they're from Hydra, and they work with with a colony of sixty million humans. And I thought, aha, so that's where they're from. And I told her, oh, thank you for telling me. I wondered where they were really from. I'm glad you told me this. And I told her that they're called the Urquequians, and they do this and that. She never spoke to me again. (laughs) I mean, it's like for some reason, I don't know why. But why is everybody afraid of them? They're, I think they're just very personable and open. <laughs> okay, I'm done. Okay. So let's go around Robin here. Teresa, do you have any questions, comments, feedback? Oh, I wanted to say something for forget. Uh, you were talking about the relocation program. For different species that may have had, they may have uh, reasons to vacate their original planet. Maybe they're uh, running from something. Maybe their planet's no longer livable. But I uh, have been working that project. I have very strong, I wake up with very strong uh, memories uh, of just having been working on the project. I go and sometimes, like the one planet we found a bunch of ruins and they were just absolutely gorgeous. And so, but they were bigger than, than the earth humanoid size. So we said, well, let's go in there. You know, these things are much bigger. We can, we can break the rooms down into smaller rooms and, you know, and house whole families, like a big apartment complex. And we could even insert additional floors. And so one of their buildings, which I don't know how many they may have housed, but they were 20 to 30 feet tall. You know, they could have housed X and, you know, one of their buildings. We could we could fit, you know, thousands in there as opposed to hundreds of them. So um, so I I saw them. I made that suggestion uh, telepathically. I'm not sure who I was talking to. And then they brought me back about a week later in real time here. And, and it was bustling with people. And they most of them seemed to be, um, they were all earthlings. They said these are earthlings. There were a lot of uh, brown people. Uh, there seemed to be a huge Asian influence. They were uh, kind of wearing that, that kind of garb, and they had those, they had a lot of music playing and dancing, and they were celebrating, and they brought a lot of, um, you know, craftspeople that could build and, and remodel and then everything that we need to support people that could cook. And anyway, so they, they were celebrating because they were, they had transplanted, I don't know, tens of thousands of people there. So their conditions where they were living before were not optimal. And so they were, they were celebrating. So I went back and then another time they were dancing in the middle of the street and I'm, I'm following this, they came over and they, they were excited to see me and they swept me up into the celebration. And so, and then I felt like really rejuvenated, like I could dance for hours and not be tired at all. And so 
I'm dancing and I'm following this parade. And next thing I know, there's a little cow, a, a rope to a cow, a little calf in my hands. And they go, everybody has their cow here. <laughs> I go, okay. So there's a gift of a, of a calf. And um, So anyway, it was very beautiful. And I came back and I was just smiling ear to ear. And so I'm really happy to be a part of these relocation programs. So I'm aware of them as well. So with that, I'd like to pass the talking stick to uh, Teresa or Richard, whoever wants to go next, to give um, Susan feedback or maybe additional questions or comments. Who wants to go next, Teresa or Richard? Richard, do you want to go? Sure. Okay. Um, Susan, what exactly do these equiquians look, look like? Are they humanoid like us, or are they distinguishable as other kind of beings or exactly what? Um, they're taller on average about five, five foot eight to six foot tall. Um, they have, of course, they got two arms, two legs and a head and the, and the head is um, not as big as the grays, not exaggerated. They're like a sky bluish color. They're really odd. Their eyes are really cool looking. They're like a really deep royal blue. They're solid, deep, royal blue eyes, and they're like a funny teardrop shape where where the tip of the teardrop curves down, and the wider part of the teardrop is toward the corner of their nose. And they have a regular nose, and they got a regular mouth, and they got the long fingers with the, with the knotty protuberances on their fing- on their all their knuckles on their fingers, and. Um, and their sternum itself, they got that circular area. Instead of the sternum being flat like ours, they have like a circular indentation on their sternum, like above where their breast would be or in between their breast. And they're similar musculature like us. And um, they have, I think, I don't know if they have a retracting penis or not, but they do have big balls. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> that hey. was a bit of an unexpected information, by all means. Um, well, we're going to do a show. We, we've had a brief conversation off uh, the show. We're going to do alien sexuality, but not this show. But that's a preview of what's, uh, what's coming, so to speak. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> so go For ahead, sure. Richard. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just uh, wanted to explain. We're well, going to do a show only, on no. alien sexuality. Go ahead. There's only one other vital question that just seems to be steaming in my mind, and that is, Susan, do you have the ability to recognize other races or other beings of other races that are in human form when you come in contact with them here amongst what appear to be normal earthlings? Um, If I do, I don't know it because probably I haven't ran across anybody yet. That's how severe this isolation is between all of us. Okay. Because I know you had mentioned previously, you know, the lizards, when you were down in the basements, there were lizard people there and there were some other bees there and there were some tall white ones and so forth. But I'm presuming, or I guess it should be said, that, that actually you're physically encountering them while you yourself, I guess, are in an etheric form. Or okay. are you actually okay. physically present? 
I'm physically present. Now, sometimes okay. I'm in my present form, or sometimes I'll shift into my alternate form, which looks more like Yisseron. You might have seen the picture of Yisseron, what he looks like. Not offhand, but I mean, you know, uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised either, because I have kept I, up with some of the literature. And I have shifted a few times, and my niece has seen me actually shift. Oh, wow. But I look more okay. like Yisseron when I shift. Mm-hmm. But now, or Magdalene from the Ruvalon, also in Cygnus, near Cygnus X1, he has worked with me and helping me shift into all alternate forms. And he can make my eyebrows thicker, thinner. He can make me look bald. He can make my hair look stringy. He, he can make, make spikes come out of my head. He can make my face distorted. He's actually teaching me how to do that on my own. And this is our Magdalene. This is so a form of shape shifting, you could say, in a manner of speaking. Although the yeah, shape shifting may or may not be actually physical, but rather a projection energetically as to how you're perceived outwardly by others. Well, he would make me look at myself in the mirror and do the shifting. Oh, okay. So in other words, it's like presenting to you different perceptions of what you can become. And, and, by utilizing and, and our, mental, mental will, I guess. Has, our he's got concentric rings around his eyes and concentric rings within his eyes. And I myself have some rings, have some lines in my eyes, too, in the corner. Actual. Hmm. And, and he, he um, has worked with me in my past life. And he, he was the Starfleet commander. And my past life, that's what I was told. And I go, oh, my God, what does that mean, war? And sure enough, later on, I was told by several different people who have done readings on me and stuff that I'm definitely a warrior. And then, ironically enough, I have a symbol. What is that beeping noise? I don't know. Um, it's not here. I'll put myself on mute. Um, uh, he... he, he um, no, now I got sidetracked. What was I saying? It's okay. You were talking about rings around the eyes, and then you were talking about uh, in past lives, and yeah, then you had also readings life, of, of of your being previous warriors, and you're a warrior currently. Right, and what and what? what I, okay, what I was told by the um, um, they're the elders from the Urfactinum or Factinum universe. That's where I got the name from. They told me that's what it was. They said, um, uh, 2015, I had a scene where they took me up into the mega ship and I was in the cargo area playing with these other beings. They're like three and a half foot to four foot tall. And, and, and we were playing our dimensional hide and seek tag games like we usually do. And then, and then, um, then three elders showed up and they were like six and a half to seven foot tall. And they said, come here a minute, suzerain. So I go to them and I stood in front of them and they said, you were from the symbol on your right ankle means you're from, that means our factianum or factanon. It's, it, it, it is a universe that we are from and we are, we are the home world of our, of our people. And you're, you're from our factanon or factianum universe and it's also the name of a planet that you reside in, an Aliatrum universe, before you came over to Taurus. And they told me you are, are factinum, 
and that's even alien even to the Aliatron universe that we are so alien and removed that we have to be isolated because we are master energy creator beings and we, we do energy processes that are totally foreign or alien to even Aliatron universe, especially it's going to be foreign to this universe. And, and they said we come from a very high place where we do universal dimensional work and very adjoining universes to our universe, and that's why you're here now. And they said that's what the symbol means, and they said – I can't go into it now because you um, because there's too much confusion and everything going on, too much distraction right now. We will tell the rest of it will come to you. We will tell you later. And I think he was referring to the fact that I was playing with the Cremungians and we were doing our dimensional work and everything, our dimensional play. So he left. I got the impression when he said confusion, he was referring to the ones that I was playing with, the beans. Then. Back like two or three years, was it was at 2019 or something, I was going on YouTube and I looked up and it was a spiritual symbol website that was advertising on YouTube. And I went on it, you know, just on a whim. And they said, which of the four symbols do you identify with? And the closest one that identified the one on my ankle, I selected and the definition is warrior. And I go, oh, that's the third or fourth one that's told me I'm a warrior. Great. So then I'm remembering when Yisseron telepathically told me that I will be working with a warrior commander, the commanders of these warrior alien races from now on out because we've got a lot of work to do. Like we're going to be fighting. There's going to be an ongoing battle, a war up there. And I go, wait a minute, because I knew right away what that means. You know, intimately, and then and then I, I I was told in 2008 that was another time I was told I was a warrior. In 2008, I was asleep in my bed, and the helicopter flew over, and it actually shot a laser at me when I was asleep through the window. And Yisseron made me invisible and hid me underneath, or like behind the bed. And then. Two or three of the, our ships went went after the helicopter, and I don't know what they did to it, but it never came back again. And later on that day when I woke up, I got the real strong impression that for now on, we're not going to let you remember much of any anything when you go up anymore because for now on, we're in a war and we're fighting a serious war. And for your own security and safety, you're not going to remember much from here on out unless it's not related or something. And and that year, 2008, I was trying to reinvent myself to make myself more marketable. I took training as a health physics, a tra- junior health physics tech. I took the Northeast Utilities test and passed it. I was an apprentice boiler maker, and I, and I had to take the apprentice training in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I did a lot. I did a lot of um, – yeah, and, and I went to the nuclear plant as an apprentice at health physics tech, and I, I, I also went to um, as a valve tech up there in the Michigan at a nuclear plant up there. I did a lot and, and find out to no avail. I didn't get hired in any of those places. Oh, I worked as a valve tech at the one plant in Michigan, but that was it. And when I was a health, junior health physics tech and um, the one in North Carolina – I had to go home early because my eyes were really bothering me. They were giving me a very hard time. They were blurry and everything all the time. 
and I had to go home. And then the apprentice boilermaker tech, I decided not to become a boilermaker because they're very violent. They're very vicious. They beat up on people. Um, if somebody falls from their lanyard on the harness and they're hanging there, they'll, they'll, they'll sexually accost them and stuff. So I said, I'm not dealing with this because it'll be my luck. I'll, I'll get killed or I'll get in trouble. So I didn't go back to them um, because there was like two or three boilermakers telling about how, how they beat the shit out of this one woman that she thought she was great, that she can do a man's job. And we, we showed her who the real man is. By when she was hanging there on the harness, they attacked her, and I said, "Forget that." And I decided not to go there because I almost got in a fight with the um, the job steward at another nuclear plant. And he said, "This is wuss. This is baby stuff. Until you do the real work in the phosphate mines and stuff, you're not you're not a real boiler maker." And he was just a very uh, fully a, abrasive, antagonistic. And, and he was ahead of the Boilermaker crew at the one nuclear plant, and he was really vicious, so I never went back. So I ended up not doing much of anything that year, even though I tried to reinvent myself, and I got all the certifications. And then back in 2010, um, I was at the apprenticeship program for a utility down there at the local college. I made straight A's, the dean's list, and everything like that. But it, during the internship phase of it, I was going north on US-1 looking for a business address, and it was a cloudy, hazy day out, drizzly, and it was a solid gray cloud cover, and a a laser came out at a 45-degree angle out of the clouds, and it hit my car between the trunk and the gas cap, and after that, I had transmission problems for the rest of the time, and then the and then back in 2013, I was in the right-hand turn-only lane in the same area, and I went from going 10 miles an hour within three seconds to going to, to like like um, 45 miles an hour inside of the back of another car, and the other car wasn't even there before that happened. So I think they hit me with a laser or something, blacked me out. Now, I was talking to some other person. And I don't know. I don't think it was TJ. I'm not sure who it was, but they were going. They said the same thing happened to them three different times when they were going an off ramp off of the um, an expressway, and three different times they, they they were blacked out by something that hit them from the sky, and they would wake up in an and an almost an accident, but they would swerve off the road into the embankment so that they wouldn't get into an accident. So I, I was attacked several times. Um, they attempted my life seven times, and I had to come back down here to my childhood home. And I, they don't want me to leave. I get the impression they don't want me to leave my childhood home because I'm safer here. So it, it, this has been an ongoing fight. And I wake up with injuries, One, t- the, not last summer, but the summer before that. Both of my knees were hurting so bad I could hardly walk, and I um, went to the UFO meetup group that time, and the one woman there who's from Argentina recognized me as being a pure alien, and I mean – and I I go, how do you know? And she goes, I can just tell. I just know. I I got the impression she had an experience, and she didn't remember the experience, but somehow it it made her aware of other aliens around her or something. 
And it's just been one ongoing thing after another. Wake up with, I mean, I've got a bum thumb on my left hand. And I, I don't know how I got it, but, it, and my thumbs don't, they're not straight. They bend outward. And it's becoming progressively increased with age. The curvature. Okay. Do you feel like there's any preeminent calling or there's any preeminent mission that you're on? Or, in other words, amongst all of this various experiences and all of these up and down interdimensional travels and so on and so forth, do you feel that, that there's any kind of overall reason that you're here on Earth now? We were commissioned to come in from the, the, the they call it the Council of One, which are the other um, lesser known alien races um, that form their own council. And they supersede, they oversee the um, universal dimensional permutations and stability and cosmic systems of this universe. They oversee the actual creation itself. And we were also called in by Orion Council. The, the one, the specific one that does planetary creation that created this planet and some of the humans on this planet, the original humans that were put on this planet before they were messed with by, by the Anunnaki and the, and the Talites and the, neg- and the negative reptilians and negative ETs before they were messed with by them. There was original three human colonies that were put here when the earth was first created by the, this one local Orion council. And I think they're and 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 uh, um, Orion's belt. And I think think they're mainly. I think their council seat is an Almalam. There's Mentaka Almalam and Almatek, and Almalam is where the, I think the council is seated. The Orion Council, and then we were called in from Aliatron. Well, no, we were called in from our fact and our fact, the Anim universe. And, and originally, before we were called in, uh, our state of existence was we're, we're quasi-light beings, meaning we're solid physical beings, but we give off a goldish aura of light around us that you can actually visibly see. And we interface a lot with the, we were on the, I was on the main council, the highest council. I want to say the council of seven, the council of three, um, and we were we were around uh, the accretion ring that goes around the sphere, and we can image any kind of incoming, any kind of instability region that surrounds our local un- the Arfactinum universe, and we have like a toroidal, like a donut ring that goes around the universe, and we have what they call these tensor. Fields that feeds in and out of the each adjoining universe through the donut and to the central sphere that we're around all the time, and we will image it like three times a day. We will circle, we will we will convene, and we will put our hands on the ring and we will observe what imagery is coming up, and you, based on what universe has any instability, whether it's it's in the system itself or there's a local skirmish in one of the planetary systems or something, we will go in, we will ride a tensor into that universe, and we will go in, and we will s- stabilize the this, this system. If it's just dimensional creation work, that's easy. But if there's a war or something, it takes longer, because we have to wipe out the e- – analyze the enemy, 
figure out what its properties and capabilities and its intent is and then eliminate it. And then it, 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 we're not done there. We have to teach the local planet how to, how to um, fend for themselves, that we have to let their progenitors come in and teach them about their identity. We have to teach self-preservation and defense and defense systems and stuff, and, and then we can supervise them while then we leave. And then we go to other tensors, but we were called into this universe by two councils. One of them wanted us to end the Lyran Wars, which we did. We were involved in the Zeta Reticuline Wars, and we ended that, and that's where Zeta Reticuline, Jedua, and Zippo were liberated. Um, and we ended that, those wars, and, and now we're fighting the war here because this is a very hot piece of real estate. Because this area is super critical, and that's why we were called in. We're a very small elite force. We're like SEAL Team 6. A lot of other races are here. They're in larger numbers. We're very small, but we're extremely powerful and our energy-wielding abilities. When they say Star Wars, the force be with you, we're the force. And, And we were called in to eliminate the evil. Out of total, complete existence, we're burning it back to a pure form of energy. We had, we had to sequester them all into the sector. We've already been doing the pulse, and now it's just a matter of time before its culmination. I don't know when that's going to occur, but it's supposed to be real shortly. But we were basically called in to end all the conflict in the wars, and we stabilized this universe into its next phase of development or its next stage of development, and we stabilized it already. And um, we, we're stabilizing the planetary systems, or we're almost done with that where there's a lot of voids and then there's a lot of planets that are in an unstable stage of evolvement where the stars are mostly red dwarfs and stuff. We're stabilizing all of that. I think we've done most of it. And now, and now we're here on the earth. We locked the earth into the fifth dimension already, stabilized it, locked it in. We opened up the Stargate system around Orion. And we also guard the Stargate, the Alpha Draconis Stargate that was, or portal that was opened up on near between Draco and Cygnus. And then we're, we're, we're protecting the Stargate here right now, but it isn't just like watching it like a Vanguard. No, we're actually fortifying the gates and everything. And now we're, it's a fierce war. It's going to, it's going to get hot before it cools down. And I mean, surface hot. And I don't mean so nuclear you're- either. So you're creator guardians in a manner of speaking. In other words, you have the ability to create, but you also guard and, and interact to kind of bring out a sense of balance and justice, I guess, to other races on other planets and other galaxies, universes, etc. That's fantastic. That's just phenomenal. Um, timelines. I mean, I realize that in other dimensions, time really doesn't exist. That time as a perspective is really circular rather than linear, as it's observed here. So naturally, you know, with, there are a tremendous amount of light workers here on the earth that are perceiving that there is a split between the third dimensional timeline and the fifth dimensional timeline. And if you could elaborate on that, that would be most enlightening. Um, from what I've been shown by the, the Chobacan, the Arquequians, and now a new – well, he's been around for a long time. This is another one. He's a tall gray, 
but he's been with me since my childhood. But he would see me when I'm asleep at night. He would see me between the ages of eight years old till about like 18, and then he left. And he reappeared um, about two or three years ago and let me know that he was interested in me, you know, intimately. Because um, most beings, when we do alliances, we do it a bonding process, and that's part of the bonding process. And we have to do that because we all have to be in the same wavelength when we're doing missions and stuff so that there's no dissension or no chance of an infiltration or sabotage or anything from within. Okay, so a- anyway, he just today, he, he finally – I knew he was around here physically for three days. I was like really like – like, um, erogenous. I, I couldn't understand why. And I knew he was in the area, and he was interested in me in that way. Well, apparently it's all gone now, so he must have, you know, did what we had to do. But he went and showed me, and this is really weird. It was a long, drawn-out scene. There was he showed me three different possible what they call what you call timelines. I, I call them probable futures. That's what what the Chobacon call them, probable futures. Um. Uh, imagine a ball with 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 spikes going out of the ball. Well, that ball is you, and those spikes are called probable futures. What what you call timelines. Whatever you do within that ball at that moment will determine which which spike you're going to follow, what probable future or what you call timeline you're going to follow. But it's not that simple. What he, that's what the Chobacan taught me. Okay. Um, he, anyway, Zebulon, that's the name. That's the name that was given to me, actually, through an electronic device. Sometimes they can communicate with you through electronic devices. And they'll, they'll actually make a word appear, and then they'll have to memorize it. And I do. Zebulon is one of them. Zendra is another. Ehim is another one. Zebulon showed me today my present this present uh, timeline, this present realm I'm in right now, this present three-dimensional reality, right? This present dimension. And I was walking down the hallway, and next thing I know, I'm in another, what they call a nullified, meaning it won't happen, a nullified dimension. Same three-dimensional orientation, but nullified residual energy pattern is what it specifically is. I'm walking through there, and the same bedroom, the same house, the same people, everything, only the furniture was different. The furniture was more of a dark oak, shiny, polished furniture. I looked at myself in the mirror, and I saw that I had no gray in my hair at all, and I did not dye my hair once at that stage. And my hair was still straight and smooth because I got straight hair, but it was shoulder length. And I, I, and, and that nullified timeline, I never went to school, I never took physics, I never took electronics, or never took mechanical maintenance, and I never got certifications in OSHA or Haswhopper, and I, and I never, uh, in that timeline. And when I looked at myself in the mirror, I saw that I was the same person as I am now, but I had no gray in my hair, and um, my brother had, had more black in his hair than he does now, and it was short. And my dad had more hair, <laughs> and um, everything was smoother and more quieter 
but I was not fully in contact with my people or where my people like I am in this timeline. And then, but that was a nullified one. And he explained to me and the nullified timelines that will never occur because they're not activated or what they call the probable future has not been locked in or activated. They act as, as mediums like threshold readings. Mute. They they act as threshold regions where you can transmit information, transmit people, transmit energies and stuff, and they use it as mainly a communication medium. And then and the other parallel timeline, which is where I interact with them all the time, which is actually an overlapping dimension. Timeline is a misnomer; it's misleading. It's a and. and and that other overlapping dimension or super superimposition, super composed dimension. And this one, when I'm in that vibra- uh, alternate vibrational resonance and I'm in that dimension walking around, I can see myself and I'm about the way I am right now. And I can walk in the same area and stuff, but effectively speaking, that's just used as what they call a travel, like gateways like roadways like highways or stuff where I can walk around in that time and that overlapping dimension and then wherever I want to materialize to do what I have to do I can use that to negotiate the roadways or walkways or pathways or rooms or hallways or whatever and then when I materialize I can either go from there to either Anywhere in the ship or anywhere in the universe or anywhere back here, anywhere in enemy territory, rematerialize and do what I have to do and go back. So you see, it's all it, – it's convoluted. It's very multidimensional and everything, and yet I understand it perfectly. Susan, you've got, uh, you've got a person here uh, from Chicago. Do you want to see if they want to ask a question? A question because we've only got four minutes. Um, Let him ask you first. Ask me first. Okay, 708, you're live on the air with TJ, Susan, Richard, and Janet. Did you want to ask Susan a question or the panel? Just listening? I can't hear anything. Okay. Well, uh, do, you, do any of y'all hear anything? Time to wrap it up. No, time to wrap it up. Um, we have like five yeah, let's minutes. All, so. Susan, uh, do you want to do this again or no? You don't know yet or you want us just to leave it hanging? Cliffhanger till next week? Or uh, how do you feel about this? Next, next week. Yeah. Would you like to return or do some other shows, or do you have any plans? Just give us an idea. I, I, I think I think this time next week is good, and we can do this every week. You'd like to do this every week. Now, even if you don't yeah. have – are you going to bring other guests on? That's something you can think about and let us know later. But for right now, it sounds like you've been doing a really good job. You've been giving out a lot of information. We appreciate it, and I'm sure if Janet would like to carry it, that's fine. Uh, and we'll uh, have you back next week. And Janet and I will be here. And uh, Richard Knight's going to be coming on tomorrow night, folks. And uh, Suzanne, she, they can get in touch with you through Aquarian Radio or TJ Marcy T Radio, either one. And we'll get you a page up. And Janet already has a lot of information on Aquarian Radio, folks. 
She does a good job as a publicist and a radio host and her brand, Aquarian Radio. And uh, we appreciate it, Susan. And uh, if we have anybody want to talk to you, we'll do our best to cover it and make sure they can contact you, okay? Janet, last words. Oh, I'm I'm really thankful that we got to do this show today. Yesterday, uh, Block Talk wasn't working, so... Today, we got to show up. Thank you, and we'll put it up for our net, network far and wide. Uh, the show main page, I'll put this on. It's AquarianRadio.com. I'm not sure which website TJ will put it on. We will upload to our 20, 30, 40 platforms and spread this far and wide. And please do tell your friends. Please like us on our YouTubes uh, and uh, ring the bell so you get notified for future episodes. And I think that's it for me. Uh, Richard, what do you want to say to our audience as you part? Well, we appreciate you all for tuning in or listening in or whatever. And Susan obviously is a a most excellent provocateur of live experiences in all kinds of different dimensions. And I personally am very, very grateful that I happen to be, have the pleasure of coming in and actually speaking with you, Susan. And hopefully that we can contact again in some future point. Anyway, I've seriously enjoyed my my interaction with all of you tonight, and many blessings. Richard, tomorrow night it is made. Uh, so same time tomorrow night, it's Ancients, Alien ET Hybrid, Humans, Decrypt Fusion, Merging Metaphysics. So I guess uh, the ancient alien ET hybrid wow. human. Wow. <laughs> you better have an ear in on this one <laughs> by the sounds of it. My, my goodness. <laughs> I must have made it when I was off plane. You, you must shorten it, TJ. I think it's too long for people. <laughs> and then uh, Richard Knight. Um, I'll have to come in as my alien time. self on that one. Right. Yeah. So we'll, Richard we'll Knight is going to be on. I just want to say one thing. We're going to run out of time. Richard Knight is coming on also on the 10th on Sacred Matrix on the Aquarian Radio Network. Um, go to AquarianRadio.com. It's going to be on Zoom this time, and you can click and register. We can fit 100 people in a room, so come on in and um, watch it live. And so we're going to. Uh, probably have some visuals now that we're doing the Zoom system. So, okay, and I'm done. I'm gonna block. I'm gonna log off. Okay. Thank you very much. And um, yeah. maybe you have some exit music here, TJ, because as soon as you're done, All I'm gonna right. download and upload it. All right, Janet Carlson from the podium, folks. <laughs> okay, aloha, everybody. I gotta run. Right. Love and light. Blessings. All right, bye bye. Susan, we look forward to having you come back then, if you'd like to, if you like your platform and. We'll keep doing what we're doing, and tomorrow night we're going to begin with whatever we can do with Richard that's just, I guess, decrypting metaphysics, sounds like. So enjoy uh, having everybody. (laughs) And all you people that tuned in, we can't do it without you. Thank you so much for eight years of people that have been so good at following us and helping us. And also, I'm putting a lot of YouTubes out there, folks, under T.J. Morris. And Teresa J. Morris and American Communication Online and my UFO Association. And I've just renewed for Susan and uh, Richard, believe it or not, because they're new with this company on this network, TJ Morris ET Radio. So please write that down. And uh, I'm making this Friday platform for Susan and Saturday platform 
or Richard. They're both new personalities in radio right here on TJ Mars ET Radio. And we look forward to whatever tomorrow night's going to hold. Thank you, Susan. You did an excellent job. And I hope I didn't interfere with your train of thought too much. Or I think we did pretty good. I, I tried to keep shut. <laughs> Well, there, there, right. there, there's a lot more mm-hmm. where that came from, a lot more. It sounds like it. I'm looking forward to learning about it. All right, folks. Uh, I guess I am trying to find my button here to get us offline here. Uh, so thank you, Richard, and thank you. Why am I not in my studio? <laughs> oh, love it. Okay, folks, I'm a little rusty to tell. <laughs> The ETs I do better. are Y'all don't give taking up on control. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, all right. So, yes, I'm going back in control on the board. All right. This ship is landed, but it's fixing to take off again. So, love and light, everybody. I'll uh, throw some music out of here. And uh, we can get better music. Everybody send it. Get it off of YouTube. Uh, Suzanne and Richard, and just send me your little clips, and I'll be more than happy to play it. All right. See y'all tomorrow night.